Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are UFOs nuts and bolts craft or something else? Can paranormal cases in general and UFO cases in particular be investigated by using police techniques? What is a multidisciplined investigation? Greetings and welcome to the 580th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those unconventional questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we bring you a new guest and perhaps an unusual approach to paranormal investigation. Well, we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240, that is locally. Uh, Also, we will monitor... Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Butch Witkowski has been an independent researcher since the day in 1989 when he and four other people witnessed an enormous UFO hovering silently over a mountain in Tucson, Arizona. He joined the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, MUFON, and started digging into current and past cases and doing more on-site investigations. Still unsatisfied... Uh, Butch founded the UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania in 2009 and brought together researchers who believed in multidisciplined investigations. They have two fully equipped mobile units and have affiliated groups in 11 states and two in Europe. The website, www.uforcop.com. U4cop.com. So, Butch Witkowski, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, good evening. Thanks for having me on. No, it's great to have you here. So let's start right at the very beginning. So with your uh, own experience back in 1989, what actually happened? Well, we were standing in the driveway with a couple gentlemen that just put some swirl cactus in our yard, and they were finished. It was awful hot, so my wife went in and got some tea, and we were all out there drinking iced tea and just happened to look up and saw this enormous craft hovering above a mountain. And... uh, Good three football fields length, uh, six, seven stories high. It was huge. Uh, burnt bronze in color, a couple faint green lights on it, and it just hovered. I mean, there was no static or electrical disturbances or anything like that, and everybody else was looking at it at the same time I was. And um, it rose up a bit and uh, hovered just uh, silently, and off it went westbound as fast as a bullet. And um, I called news media, I called Davis Moffin Air Force Base, uh, Department of Public Safety, Highway Patrol, Tucson Sheriff's Department, Tucson Police Department. Nobody saw anything. Media, no reports. Hmm. And that started it. I just had to know what it was. Let me ask you this, and and this is going to be a funny question, Butch, but maybe, maybe not to you with your experience, but what was the dominant, dominant feeling you had during this sighting? Fear, excitement, feeling of being singled out? Uh... Mm, dumbfounded. Okay. I'll tell you why I asked that, because when people report these sightings to us, uh, once in a while they'll say, along with the you know, curiosity and excitement and dumbfounded, that sort of thing, uh, several people have said they felt, uh, they felt singled out or they felt like they were being tested for something else, in, uh, which I think is a very interesting way of putting it, that sort of thing. So that's why I asked the question. So dumbfounded, of course. What about the other people in the group who saw this? Do they everybody have the same feeling? Everybody saw the same thing. Same uh, thing. Okay. Everybody kind of just, you know, uh, with their mouth hanging open, staring at this thing like, you know, what the heck is it? 
and it, 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 the size was what just caught you. I mean, mm. it was just huge. Yeah. And one reason I ask, too, is because people who have witnessed the Phoenix Lights, uh, and I, I witnessed them from an airplane, believe it or not, once, uh, the, uh, the, the dominant feeling of many of them was uh, sort of um, uh, protection, almost enlightenment. Of course, these were sort of true believers, I admit, but I thought that was interesting as well. So you didn't feel specially enlightened or touched somehow by this? Just no, because, you know, I, I, although I heard of UFOs, I was a great sci-fi moviegoer when I was a kid and my father, and, and uh, you know, I never put much credence into it other than it was all fantasy. And, yeah. and now I'm standing there looking at one and going like, wow, now what? <laughs> yeah, it is. Not, some of the most upset people I've ever dealt with are, are professional types, particularly medical workers, healthcare professionals who have, uh, or even law enforcement professionals who have had paranormal experiences, uh, whether it be UFOs or anything else, and they're all shaken up. They said what you just said, you know, I've never, I thought it was all fantasy or words to that effect, and, and here, you know, a little different when it happens to you. So, uh, Butch, what is this, what is the multidisciplined approach that you talk about? Well, we have, uh, Pretty much the whole gamut. We have paranormal researchers, and all, all our folks have been at it a long time. And when I say a long time, uh, you know, 20, 25, 30 years is nothing. Um, we have uh, ex-police helicopter pilots. We have police, uh, full-time police officers. We have uh, retired police officers. We have uh, private investigators. We have uh, psychics. We have abduction specialists. Uh, we have photography specialists. Um, we have evidence specialists, forensic specialists. Uh, pretty much everything in the field that you really want to have on your side when you are investigating this stuff, whether it be the paranormal, cryptozoology, or ufology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they take a different tact than normal, which, you know, normally um, a UFO report comes in, the uh, UFO researcher uh, contacts the person, takes the notes. Um, sometimes they get to meet him in person, most often not. Um, sometimes they get to go to the scene, most often not, and um, uh, the report gets filed, and that's pretty much the end of it, where we do it more forensically to first to find out the background of the sighting. Have there been other sightings in the area before? How far back do they go? And that goes for paranormal also. You know, if it's a house, you know, researching the house, going back in records to see, you know, the deeds, who owned it, what happened there, if anything. Um <clears throat> cryptozoology is kind of a wild thing because that's right now that's all over the place uh mm. you got interdimensional beings and dogmen and wolf werewolves and bigfoot and everything's yeah kind of we've all covered them all on the show one time or another yeah they're 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 all together they seem right now but in ufology it's best to start at the very beginning you know find out what happened uh try to get to the location that's very important try to get to talk to the people head on because then you really get a feel for what's going on. And, you know, if somebody's standing there and they're talking to you and they're shaking and they're pale, you know, and they need to sit down while they're talking to you, they pretty much saw something. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you get the guy that comes out with a cigar and a beer and feet propped up in a chair and he's laughing <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. You pretty much know he didn't see anything. Yeah. Mm. But, um, you know, uh, taking samples, you know, like uh, people say, well, 
and we just had one a, a little while back where a lady um, sent me a report, and she said they have this growth in the yard that came up basically overnight, and they saw a bright white light outside. And uh, took clippings of this um, white substance, and I pretty much thought it was some type of a spore. But we sent it to the lab, and it came back. It was a spore. But uh, it didn't explain the white light that she saw uh, in a very secluded area. Um, no roads nearby where it would have been headlights flashing through or anything like that. And kind of, she kind of sits in a valley. But you still got to go, even though you pretty much know what you're going for. Like when she was describing it, it was pretty much circular spore, which just grows out of a damp spot in the ground that isn't drying up real well. And, you know, the temperature plays a lot, the variance of the temperature. Um, weather plays a, a big, a big chunk of ufology investigations, which a lot of ufologists don't even bother with. Mm-hmm. And you know, when somebody says to you that you know they witnessed something at ten or twelve or fifteen thousand or thirty thousand feet, and they start describing it, you go back and you look at the weather, and that the ceiling was only five thousand that night, or it was raining, or it was snowing, or you know there was no no cloud break at all. And you pretty much know where you're going with that. So forensically, it works out better um, just doing it like any normal forensic investigation. Uh, start at the very beginning, uh, work backwards, and then go forwards. Uh, it, it, it takes a lot of research. You know, when people um, say that they can, you know, they can pretty much figure out a case in, you know, a day or two, that kind of throws up a red flag to me because even if it's a hoax, you still have to prove it. And if you can't prove anything, it's just another story. And I've heard so many of those, they all ought to start with once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's, it just works out better to do it forensically than just going and taking a report and filing it. Uh, even if it does turn out to be a hoax, uh, it's something that you can put into your database. Uh, you know, either the name of the individual that gave it to you or the type or what they did, how they did it with uh, Photoshop or something like that. Mm -hmm. And once you have that in there, you know, if you get a similar sighting report, you can always throw that in under search terms, certain search terms, and pop up. Uh, we had one where um, a guy was swearing and declaring on the Bible that he saw a triangle, and, you know, really when we got down to it and took the photograph apart, it was a Cessna 172. Yeah. And what he did was uh, he blacked out, uh, he left the red light in place, blacked out the plane, and then changed the other collision lights, the white and the green, to red. So he had three red dots in the sky. But when we blew it up to 2,500%, you could almost read the tail section off of the Cessna. You could see the landing gear. And it was a Cessna 172. Oh, you could almost barely make out the color, but not that well. <laughs> hmm. So he taking stuff apart and putting stuff together, and then there's those cases that, you know, you follow through the way you want to and everything comes out and you just stand there and you have no explanation for what they saw. You know, people always say, well, what are they? Well, I don't know what they are. I know they're not ours. Mm -hmm. uh, who's, who's flying them? Well, I don't know that either. I never met one. So then you always get that question, well, how do I see them? Well, look up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's not really hard. It's just it's tedious. It's a lot of work. Um, you can spend a lot of time on a computer just researching a background uh, because there's so many databases out there. That's what we have our own. We use our own 
but um, uh, you know, there's 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 hundreds of them, and uh, you can go to one database and pick out a sighting. Say, well, Roswell, you know, you can go to any database and pull up Roswell, and I'll guarantee you every one of every one of the of the criteria that's in there of the of the original reports and everything followed thereafter with investigations and research is all different. You know, I got twelve books here on Roswell on my shelf. Mm-hmm. One do I believe? Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, that makes sense. So let me let me ask you a two part question here. So what do you what do you define proof as, and who are you trying to prove these things to? Uh, defining proof, uh, well, per- the perfect proof would be something landed in my yard, but that's that's, that's true. That's like the holy grail of proof. Good good photographic evidence. Really good photographic evidence, not blurred photographic evidence, and and a lot of that has to do with the type of cameras people are using. I mean, they're, everybody's using their cell phone. Cell phones take rotten pictures yeah, unless you're posing yeah, yeah. a selfie. You know, then you get a good picture. But if you're shooting something that's you know fifteen, twenty thousand, thirty thousand feet up, and uh, you need to blow that up with that type of camera, it's just going to distort. You're not going to see anything but a blur. Uh, we have all Nikon's. <clears throat> we have infrared, we have uh, Canon CCTV cameras, uh, uh, digital and 35 millimeter, um, and those cameras, you know, with the with the lenses that are on there, they take a picture of something at 30,000. Uh, I can pretty much tell you the type of aircraft it is. So uh, good photographic evidence is one. Uh, the report as a whole how it took place, when it took place, you know, the weather worked out, uh, the time worked out, there might have been other sightings in the area, or there may be multiple witnesses. Multiple witnesses is always the best case you're going to get because if you interview the witnesses separately, which is the best way to do it, and you get all five people that saw the same exact thing at the same exact time, and nobody's standing there going like, well, I saw it too, you know, the famous Me Too-isms, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, you know you got something going. And as far as who to prove it to, really, to just prove it to ourselves. I mean, there are many sites and many researchers and investigators out there that are trying to prove it to the world. Well, it's going to take a lot to do that. Like I said, unless it lands in my front yard, you're going to have a really tough problem because you'll always have skeptics. And no matter how good a research you do and how good a case it turns out to be and whatever evidence you have, I will guarantee you there's somebody out there trying to debunk it. True. That's very. That's very true. Yeah, I respect that because usually, if I ask somebody, "Oh, well, who are you trying to prove?" They're like, "We're trying to prove this to science." And it's like, well, they're probably not going to listen to you. Uh, but no, this is it's very, very, very sensible, and I can respect that. Well, it sounds like there's some disciplined thinking here, and 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 that's uh, a refreshing fact, I think, when it comes to your your uh, your activities, Butch. Um, I understand that you have a law enforcement background. Yeah. And uh, would you say that the multidisciplinary approach you just described involves what you might call police investigation techniques? You mentioned forensics, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of it. But uh, a lot of it is just common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, like I said, going back to weather, weather always seems to be left out of almost every report you read. Hmm. And it plays such a very important part in that case. Uh, whether it's something that's on the ground or something that was seen in the air. Uh, you know, if somebody says, well, 
you know, it, I, I saw it here. It was about a mile away, and then you pull up the report, and you find that, that there was zero visibility. You know, well, then how did you see it? You know, if it's zero visibility and planes aren't flying and nothing else is flying, how did you see it a mile away? So just using stuff like that and and uh, little things like the type of equipment you use, um, uh, I, I know not everybody's going to run out and buy a $3,000, $4,000 Nikon camera. <laughs> but, but you can buy them on eBay very cheaply and good cameras. And um, uh, a full autom- you can buy a full automatic, the whole setup, for like a couple hundred bucks. And you'll pay a couple hundred bucks for a, well, I paid more than that for a phone. So, um, you know, uh, in, our, in, in, our, in our vans, we have, uh, you know, uh, satellite communication, we have satellite phones, we have computers, all the evidence gathering stuff that anybody would ever need for any type of case. Uh, repelling gear, uh, first aid, um, archaeological tools, um, radios, uh, AM uh, radios, FM, police band. Then we have our own radio system, which is uh, uh, VHF. We have six private channels that nobody can listen to but us. We have handheld units. We have units mounted in the trucks. But not everybody does that. I mean, I think we're the only group I know of that really does have that type of equipment. And the only difference between the one out in the western end of the state and this end of the state is the guy out there has dive gear on the truck because <laughs> he's a diver. Investigate USOs, huh? Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, we've had reports of stuff coming out of water, uh, out of creek, uh, out of creeks, out of um, rivers, and um, you know, we have radio, radioactive gear to check radio, radiation. We have um, ground penetrating uh, gear. Uh, so the the trucks are very well equipped, and you know, there's canopies uh, for cover. There's there's tables and chairs. There's <laughs> we, I can even make you a pot of coffee. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Butch. As I say, it sounds uh, li- like a wonderful setup, and uh, we appreciate the disciplined thinking, which, as I say, is all too absent in this field sometimes. But uh, that being said, there are some people, including ourselves, I must admit, who believe or who suspect that the paranormal might very well be outside of our narrow materialist paradigm you know that ordinary science as we understand it just really isn't good enough to bring any real answers what say you well i'm assuming you're talking about a parallel universe or another dimension well perhaps yes yes that's all part of it maybe and hologram uh, whatever yeah we just had a case that is uh, kind of baffling i was on the phone with one of my researchers out in oklahoma today discussing it for two hours we had a gentleman that was walking his dogs in the state park up in central Pennsylvania and uh, two Weimaranas and, uh, that he took to, for walks up there pretty much all their lives. He's lived in the area all his life, hunted the area all his life. He's a retired airline pilot, an Air Force pilot of 40 years. And uh, he's walking up through, and um, the dogs start going crazy. They want to tear off into the right-hand side of the road and into the woods. So he's thinking, you know, skunk, possum, you know, deer maybe. And uh, these dogs are really getting nasty. I mean, they're, they're showing teeth, they're growling, they're ripping at the ground, they're digging holes in the ground trying to get away from him. And he's doing all he can to hold them back. And out of the woods to his right 
walks a, I'll say, entity. Uh, seven to eight foot tall, um, looks like a man, does not resemble Bigfoot in any way, uh, short brown to short black hair covering the body, no long extended arms, no coned head, big neck like a Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, he was very adamant when we talked that he was not describing Bigfoot. He said, I've seen pictures of Bigfoot. I know what a Bigfoot looks like. Uh, he said, it's not a Bigfoot. And his best his best way of describing it was put Ar- make Arnold Schwarzenegger seven to eight foot tall, cover him in short brown or short black hair, give him sort of a snout. And I said, whoa, 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 back up the bus. What do you mean snout? He said it had a protrusion, like um, the, the, from the nose from the jaw, um, almost like a Neanderthal. I said, okay, so did it have a flat head or, or, you know, he said, no, 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 no protrusion forehead. He said, just take a man and just give him a a, a snout, a short snout. He said, like a pug or something like that. And I said, okay. The creature walks across in front of them, crosses the road. It pays no attention to him. It doesn't even look at him or the dogs. I don't know about you guys. I got two dogs wanting to tear at me. I'm going to keep my eye on them for every millisecond. Mm Mm-hmm. And it walks into the other side of the woods and goes away, disappears. So he goes back to the truck, drags the dogs back, puts them back in the truck, retrieves a handgun, goes up, walks in the right side, he sees nothing. He goes in the left side, he sees nothing, he feels nothing. He goes back, he tells a couple buddies. The next day they go out. They're armed to the teeth with high-powered rifles. They go to the exact spot, which he can see because there's the holes from the dogs. He walks into the right. They walk in about 50, 100 yards. They see nothing. They walk in the other side where the creature or entity went into. They got in about 50 feet. They all stopped dead, all had this feeling of dread. They need to get out of there, and they need to get out of there right now. They're not to be there. They turned around, backed out with the rifles pointed behind them, and left. And the last thing he said to me was, I am never going back there again, ever. Mm -hmm. So what are we dealing with there? Did this thing cross the path and think that it could not be seen, so therefore it never looked at him or the dogs? Or maybe it couldn't see them. Exactly. You know, and, and this is what we run into very frequently. Uh, and my background is in ghost research, if you want to call it that, poltergeist, that sort of thing. And Ben uh, joined me in that some years ago. And that that's precisely the, the sort of thing we encounter are people who see things like this, and then they don't seem to be seen in return. Or when they are, they're often seen as we see the quote-unquote ghost, if you want to call it that. And and that's one question. uh, That brings up several questions. And one of them is, you know, are the labels we put on these things dependent on the context in which we experience them? Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, if you see this sort of figure uh, with a disc hovering over it, aha, an alien, or if you see it in your house in in a blurred form, aha, a ghost, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, those are all questions we're all, we're all considering, I'm sure, at this point. But um, in any case, uh, there are some darker aspects of this, Butch, that uh, I know you had, um, uh, you, you are uh, really uh, very, very competent to talk about. And one is, uh, and I hate to bring this up, because I know a lot of people have dinner while they're listening to this show around here, but um, the, the, the notion of human mutilations. And now, we've, we've dealt with cattle mutilations on the show recently, a show with uh, Chris O'Brien. And um, 
the uh, human mutilation thing does come up. We were talking about the Dyatlov Pass incident and all this sort of thing. I'm sure you're familiar with all that. Yes. And I know you've done some research on that. Can you uh, talk about that in a sort of sort of a PG uh, format? Sure. Um, if uh, if a person just puts in mind that if they've seen or read anything about a cattle mutilation, all they have to do is imagine that being done to a human being. Um, there are a number of cases out there. Uh, the most famous one, I guess, is the Guadaparanga Dam uh, case in Brazil, where a uh, couple fishermen on the dam, and it's a man-made dam, supplies water to Sao Paulo. And in the middle of this dam, there's a man-made uh, island, and they see on the island on the shoreline what looks to be like a body. So instead of going disturbing anything, these guys go back and they get the police. The police show up, and they bring along a forensic team. And uh, this guy is butchered just like a cattle. I mean, no difference. Uh, same marking, same uh, removal of uh, certain parts. And um, the autopsy report, uh, which we got and had translated from Portuguese to English, uh, you know, says that, you know, he died of massive trauma. Uh, vital reaction played a great part in, in his demise, and vital reaction means that when this stuff happened to him, he was alive. That's what it means. Okay. All right, we're going to take our bottom-of-the-hour break here, and we'll get back with a little more of that particular subject because we have some more questions about it. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful and balmy at 43 degrees, Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with Butch, Butch Witkowski in just a moment, so stick with us. Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on Owen. Owen Radio. And I just wanted to remind you, don't forget to stay tuned after the show for Boston Celtics basketball. They're playing the Charlotte Hornets this evening. It'll be a great game. So check that out at 7 o'clock when we uh, have uh, ended our show, and uh, stay tuned for that. So let's get back uh, to our – we'll talk about our charities later. Let's get back to Butch Witkowski. I'm anxious to continue this conversation and use every minute. Uh, now, Butch, uh, and now, Ben, did you want to – Step in here with that question about forensics you had at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned Butch about um, using forensics on your cases. I'm. I, I'm curious as to how that comes into play when you're uh, studying or, or investigating different UFO cases. Well, uh, you know, uh, you look at it just like anything else. You would, uh, you know, uh, background, distance. Uh, uh, photographs taken, statements taken. I mean, you can take a, a just have a statement, and you can forensically take apart a statement. You know, with hmm. uh, 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 positive questions and negative questions, and you know, you can pretty much find out uh, even just by questioning whether you have something or not. And uh, that's just a tool of forensics. Um, uh, distances. Um, uh, the type of craft that was seen. Right now, we're getting uh, a lot of reports of crafts that are orbs, mm -hmm. and they are uh, red, orange, uh, translucent. Now, these are close-up seen. And when I say close-up, these are people that are reporting from a thousand to five thousand feet, and we have one that's actually lower at five hundred feet. But 
they seem to have uh, a motion inside, like a lava lamp from the 60s. Don't laugh, I have one on my desk. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, really. Uh, so anyway, uh, they're seeing that. So um, I was asked to help or look at, not help, but look at a case that was uh, investigated in Washington State uh, where um, uh, a craft was seen going behind some trees and a farm, and next thing the craft leaves, but now this orb comes out, comes across the field, crosses the road, comes up the road, uh, the guy's watering his lawn. This thing passes within six feet of him, stops over top of a manhole cover in the middle of the street, and it's got all kind of uh, sparklies coming out, like little electrodes and stuff. And then it goes over to an electric pole and not quite attaches itself, but it's, it seems like it's drawing power because you can see the the uh, power waves going into the thing. And then it goes back over top of this this uh, plate, this uh, sewer plate, uh, and vanishes. Now, forensically, you just had a foreign object, an unknown object, pass within six foot of a guy. Would you not ask to have that guy's clothing? Yeah. I would have bought the guy a tuxedo. <laughs> okay? The researchers that investigated the case never did that. Would you have gone up the street to the next manhole cover and taken a sample of that and then take a sample where the orb actually sat. Would you take a sample off the pole? This is all basic forensics. Yeah. They didn't do it. Well, that's the lack of disciplined thinking we were talking about earlier. So no matter what comes up in a case, whether it's just in the questioning or it's in the photographs or it's in actual evidence or taking evidence, I mean, that's all part of being forensics. I mean, you know... Uh, you can you can write the report like these gentlemen did, and it's a, a lengthy report. But this researcher in Canada that contacted me sent me the report, and he said, "What do you think?" And then we got to talk to the gentleman, and, and uh, on a three-way conversation, and I I said to him, I said, "Well, didn't they ask? I mean, the guy got sick afterwards. I mean, he had uh, there were dog re uh, animal reactions. There was a dog across the street that uh, is chained to a box. He ripped the box off its foundation." and drug it by the chain, mm -hmm. trying to get to this orb. I mean, they did nothing. They took one picture from the middle of the street where his house is uh, to the woods. That's the only photograph they took. Uh, you must know Ted Phillips. Uh, Ted Phillips is yeah. mm -hmm. uh, yes. He's one of our favorite people around here. Ted is, for those who don't know, has a, an amazing database going back many, many years mm -hmm. of uh, UFO landing evidence, mm -hmm. and he is a disciplined thinker, such as Butch is, and he has expressed the opinion to us that um, there, may, there is some sort of change that has taken place over the last 50 years in the nature of the UFOs and the, the sense of their structure, and you brought it up when you mentioned orbs, Butch, mm -hmm. and he was saying that in the 40s and 50s, people would see nuts and bolts craft with you know, legs, landing gear, that sort of thing, you know, mostly metallic, say. And more recently, they have become, as you suggested, which uh, orb-like uh, of various sizes and uh, more um, so almost energy-based. He seems to think, particularly referring to the uh, Marley Woods case in um, Missouri, that these mm -hmm. may be probes, that sort of thing, kind of keeping an eye on things. Yeah. What's your take on that? Have you, you noticed in all your years of research that 
this change or a change like this has taken place? Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. The the when I first started, uh, which was what twenty six years ago, uh, everything was the flying saucer, you know, the mm. tip saucer, um, or, or or you know some type of vehicle that um, either had glass dome or it had a lot of lights flashing or it had landing gear or this and that. But recently, in the last five, six years, it's been triangles and orbs. Yeah. yeah. What well, do you think that means, can, if anything? Triangles we can kind of look at as being military, because the military does use triangle-type craft. Yes. So, uh, And many, many uh, things that they have flying in the military now do resemble... Uh, triangles when they're up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the orbs, uh, you know, were first spotted back in the uh, 40s during World War II as the Foo Fighters, and uh, they were not quite like they are today. Uh, back then, they were just a light. They could, you know, circle planes. Uh, the Japanese thought they were ours. The Nazis thought they were theirs, and they thought they were ours, and we thought they were theirs, and yeah. nobody knew what they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some very good photographs taken of them, uh, and um, the crafts, uh, I've heard them described as probes. I've also heard them described as scout uh, vessels. Uh, so without putting a name on, uh, I'm just going to stick with orbs because that's really what they are uh, as we know it. Uh, now, what's happening inside of these things with the, the lava lamp movement, I mean, you know, the, what the guy described in Washington to me and what was described uh, in a report that I received, I mean, the reports are identical. So they're describing the same type of craft. And um, are these things that are dropped from uh, the quote-unquote mothership or are they separate entities on their own? You have many cases where somebody spots one and then they break into three then they'll break into nine, and then they'll go back to one, and then they'll disappear. Okay. So there are um, there's a lot of speculation about why, and even on our part, about why there are so many different kinds of craft uh, and, and this sort of thing. And there are, there do seem to be patterns of the of many different kinds of, of uh, quote unquote aliens in this too. But th- there are recognizable patterns in, in what they look like. I mean, there are like I wouldn't say fifty or maybe a hundred varieties, probably uh, fewer than that, because I'm no expert on that. But uh, the question is, why so many? Who are they? Where do they come from? What do they want? Are they from other planets? Are they from other parallel worlds? Both? You know, I mean, what say you? In 25 years of research, what conclusions have you reached, or have you reached any conclusions? Uh, They've been here a long time, wherever they came from, or they've never left. Or whenever they came from. Yeah, uh, Yeah. you know, uh, we could be them. They could be us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do they live on another planet or in another solar system? Or you know, there's a zillion planets out there. Yeah. Or do they live here underground? Yeah, I mean, another question. That's yeah. a big. That's a big thing uh, with some researchers where they just believe that uh, a lot of these beings are here. Uh, whether they're known by the government or not, that's you know that's still up in the air. I, I think mean, so too. Yeah. Speculate. I like that. I saw what you did there. That's good. Up in the air. I mean, you could speculate till you know the cows come home on that, but mm-hmm. um, unless they get mutilated, I'm sorry, that wasn't funny. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was kind of funny, I guess. Yeah, kind of, all right. <laughs> sorry, Butch. Go ahead. That's okay. One of the things is that uh, you know 
you look at like in in, in archaeology and all these all these uh, different um, facets of research all hit each other at one point or another. In archaeology, you'll have uh, a statue. Okay, we'll take a statue. You'll have a statue of a being that's found in Ecuador, and that matches a statue almost identical, pretty much identical. And when I say pretty much, I'm going to say like 85 to 90 percent identical in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that exact same um, statue in Africa. You'll find that exact same statue over in Ireland. So, uh, or the Incas had it, or, or American Indians carved a totem pole. You know, that's not just random, well, just it just happened that way. No. The, 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 the time span, the difference... Uh, the locations that these fi- things are found is just, it, it just can't be. It, yeah. it just cannot be. Even archaeologists say it's, it's impossible to have something yeah. that they picked up in, in South America at an Inca tomb, and, uh, you know, they, they, they date it back to a, uh, a statue that's almost identical in uh, the Third Dynasty of Egypt. I mean, we're talking about thousands of years here, and how did these guys get it from here to there? And you have pyramids. Their pyramids are all over the place. They're in every country on this planet. So they're similar. Uh, you got Inca, Inca um, uh, pyramids in South America that you can uh, match up almost identically to um, stuff in, that's being found in England. Smaller in size, maybe sometimes bigger, but it's they've been here a long time, and I think they played a very big part in the human race or uh, maybe good, bad, or indifferent. But, you know, I do believe that uh, from what we've seen, uh, I've not read anything that makes them benevolent. Mm -hmm. Most of the things that we found are malevolent. Yeah, that's the uh, key. You know, I don't see them curing cancer or the common cold. Yeah. You have pictures of their mutilations and their abduction scenarios, and so... I mean, just the abduction people. I mean, look how many lives have been destroyed by that. Yeah, it's, it's not a friendly thing to do. No. Whoever or whatever is doing it. And so, then you have all the missing people. I mean, when you look yeah, at... Yeah, 100,000 a year just in the U.S.? Uh, oh, it's more than that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. My statistic uh, last, is about five years old. Last one, uh, last NCIC statistic I did from the National Crime Information Center uh, came out to about... Um, let me see here. <laughs> Uh, since 1991 to 2009, 13,861,000. People disappeared without a trace? Without a trace. Wow. Wow. Now, certainly some of, some of that is deliberate. Now, there are plenty of people in Rhode Island who would like to disappear, you know, especially <laughs> yeah. politicians. Well, but, uh, well, when you tell, when, when, I mean, they, they differentiate in the report. I mean, they'll say, you know, like 95% of that figure, uh, just, I'm just going to take one year. I'll take 2008. So in 2008, you have 778,000 people missing reports filed, okay? Mm-hmm. About 95% are found. 75% are runaways under the age of 18. 20% are spousal abuse, murders, uh, elderly walkaways, uh, ransom, people that just want to get never found again. But the, that number left over, that 5%, or 38,900, stays the same within a fraction of that number all the way through until 2012. How many of those are found in the forms of bodies? None. None. 
None. Not, so just totally gone. That when they say when they say no trace is of, of them is ever located, that's men, women, and children. They find nothing. Which is not all that easy to do. These no, days. and you consider that this is only the statistics for the United States. Just for the U.S. Yep. So if you think about, let's say, the Middle East, do you, or, or 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 Africa, you, a whole village could disappear. They wouldn't they wouldn't know and they wouldn't care. No, you're uh, in a you war have zone. an Inuit yeah. village that disappeared. Yep. Uh, so uh, where'd they go? I mean, the food was still cooking on the table. No, well, you hear that sort of. Ben, I know you're you have a question. Well, I mean, well, all that being said. How do you feel about the exopolitics movement? Yeah. yeah. Mm. For those who don't know, the exopolitics movement is, as I understand it, we've had shows about this, uh, an, an approach that um, I think assumes that whoever or whatever is out there is going to treat us sort of as equals, and it's uh, making plans to deal with them in a, in, in a diplomatic way and, and uh, <clears throat> that sort of thing in a civilized way, and you know, we always say get to tell guests we're on who say that that, that you know that these might not have human motivations. I mean, so what do you think about that? About that? I think course? exopolitics is wishful thinking. I do too. Yeah. I think. Uh, I hate to know, say it, but I think it's. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to say it as it is. I yeah, mean, exactly. You got this many people missing in the United States every year. Where are they going? Yeah. According to these numbers, you guys should be able to walk outside of your studio and trip over the bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these these bodies are found. Now, this is not this has nothing to do with David Pallady's work. David Pallady is uh, Pallady's is basically staying in state parks. The missing people in state parks. And we were going to ask you about that. Yeah. And some are found, and some are not. Most are not. These these numbers are for people that are never found. There are no uh, no found no found bodies, no found traces, no clothing, cars, motorcycles, whatever they were on last. One case uh, I read that just it haunts me, uh, and I just can't find out anything more about it. But it's just one of those cases that just you think about all the time, where a guy and uh, a group of young folks, and I'm going to say young folks are all uh, in their twenty early twenties. They go to a local uh, tavern out in the country. Uh, have a good time. Uh, they go outside. The tavern's closing down. The gentleman says, hey, I'm going to go get the car, and they watch him walk into the parking lot. They watch him walk into the parking lot. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come back. He's never been seen since. Wow. He's gone. Yeah. I mean, there was no sign of a struggle, uh, no keys. The car was there. Uh, they watched him walk into the parking lot. They were only 40 feet away. And... He's never been seen again. There's another case uh, in the Midwest where a guy went to pick up his mail, got on his little scooter because he has a long uh, uh, driveway, so he uses his little scooter to go down the driveway to go get the mail, and they find the scooter, and he's never been seen ever, ever again. Well, That's I talked like to 10, I, 12 years now. I talked to a group in England this, about 12, 15 years ago. They were jogging down a country road. The person in front tripped, fell, and disappeared right in front of their eyes. Never seen again. So, well, I know, mean, is this... We've gotten cases from England that go back into the 15th, 16th century. Oh, yeah, we looked at it, especially around areas like Rendlesham Forest. Because yeah. we always approach uh, the the uh, cases such as that, that it's the tip of the iceberg, and sure enough, you find all sorts of things. You know, maybe, maybe it's it's coincidence, but probably not. Well, you know, the way the English keep records, I mean, they can go back and tell you what Louis the Eighteenth had for lunch. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And two archaeologists uh, that contacted uh, contacted me said that they were digging through some church records, and they came upon these strange cases, which they kind of related to a radio show I must have been on a couple years ago uh, about missing people. And uh, the guy said, you know, we found two cases in this in this one uh, church record where a gentleman disappeared, was found 24 hours later up on a roof, and butchered the same as cattle back then. This was the 16th century. Yeah, yeah. And then we went on a little bit more, and we found another one of of a gentleman that disappeared from his field and was found hanging in a tree a few days later, butchered Mm -hmm. the same as cattle mutilations today. Now, of course, I don't think we can make the step to say this is all the fault of of UFO denizens or something like that. I mean, there could be other paranormal explanations or or, or mundane explanations from undiscovered science. Exactly. So we, we don't know. Now, now, Butch, this question came up on a show you and I recently did with Tim Schwartz, uh, Carla oh, yeah. Anderson, and Tim Beckley on Tim's internet show, Unraveling the Secrets. I had a great time that night. We were talking about Charles Fort yeah. and uh, various connections that, uh, or at least I brought up the, the idea of various connections that, that he thought there might be between, among paranormal phenomena. And, that, and that, that's, that's a hallmark of our work, and other people are starting to, uh, not that we started it, but I mean, uh, a lot of people seem to be, thinking that there may be uh, more to all this than just ghosts as ghosts, UFOs, etc. Um, so well, as far as connections are concerned among these various uh, phenomena, uh, what, what, what do you think? I mean, we, we run into ghost cases. People think they're ghosts, and they turn into UFO cases. Uh, I'm thinking, too, of... Um, uh, our, our good friend, I'm sure you know them too, Kathy Martin and Denise Stoner in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Denise are, runs my Florida branch. There you go. Okay, well, there you go. And uh, in the free uh, organization, the Experiencers Group, too, that, that, that I'm starting to get, starting to get involved with, uh, that uh, people are seeing connections here. How would you describe, uh, and I, assuming that you see connections as well, when did you begin to suspect there may be connections between various things in the paranormal that were never associated prior to the last maybe 10 years? Uh, about six or seven years ago, uh, things started um, just registering, you know, uh, like how could this have happened or or why did this happen or why did they see this and how are they seeing this? You know, just little things in cases that popped up uh, and seem to be more dominant now than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially uh, in the in the uh, abduction scenario. I mean, you have um, uh, folks re- making a report, say in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and um, I'm looking at a report from um, Tokyo, Japan, and they describe the inside of the craft perfectly, exactly the same, no different. They the entities that are involved, uh, the procedures that are involved. So. Uh, then you'll see uh, a paranormal case where um, um, things are being moved or uh, missing from the home and then show up, you know, years later Yeah. Uh, in the same place where they were taken to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, animal reactions, um, dolls talking, um it's just there has to be a connection. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm almost positive of that. But what the connection is or how it all connects, I have no idea. Yeah. And okay. I've, I've seen no. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories. I mean, a lot of, of of speculation from other researchers. But again, it's just speculation. You know, to to put that 
put, put that out there, they should start out by saying, you know, this is what I think. Mm-hmm. Don't put it out there and say that this is the way it is. That's because right. There is no proof yet. Very and true. There, there may never be, but yeah. then again, there could be. Yeah. Butch, we're burning up this hour something fierce. Uh, before we go any further, uh, please tell everybody about uh, you know any books you'd like to promote, your website, where people can find out more about you and your, your radio show, etc. Well, the, the website's uh, uh, www.ufo.rcop.com. Uh, there's a blog. They can get to our blog. They can make a report. They can contact me directly on the contact page. I think it's called the terrestrial page. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... Um, uh, we are going to have here in Pennsylvania on the 18th of April, we're going to have a paranormal roundtable where we're going to have uh, cryptozoologists, uh, we're going to have paranormal folks, we're going to have Fordian folks. Uh, Lon Strickler from Phantoms and Monsters will be there. No, we don't, Lon. Yeah. Um, our group will be there. Uh, Legend Hunters, uh, Sean Forker will be there from the Bigfoot uh, Research Society. And it's going to be an open forum. Uh, there's not, it's not a conference. We're not going to get up and show PowerPoints or anything like that. It's going to be the folks. Uh, we'll be sitting up front, and they'll be sitting in front of us, and they're just going to banner back and forth and find out what we do, how we do it, what we do it with, what type of equipment we use, etc. And uh, we can tell them what's right and what's wrong and take reports and answer questions and just a one-on-one with the folks. Now, will that be available in podcast form later on, or will it be broadcast live? I think there's there's a guy recording it, and I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know if it's going to be podcast or it's going to be a YouTube. I don't know yet. Okay, well, let let us know, and we'll announce it. Sure. Okay, great. All right, uh, Ben, did you have any further questions? Because I have one or two more. Please, or yours. All right, good. Um, You know, I'm, I'm thinking that we... Also agree with you, Butch. That that I think we've got more negativity here than than anything that that's friendly or good. Uh, we look back on poltergeist cases, mm-hmm. and if I uh, like back in 1974, there was one that I worked on uh, with Ed and Lorraine Warren, and the press was all involved. It was all chaos. These were alien beings. I can't think of a better word to describe the four of them. They were tossing stuff around, or at least were in this house where things were flying around. Whether they were doing it is another issue. Uh, There was a certain sterility, non-humanity, and very clear, uh, as I say, alien is the best word I can think of. And we, we, at the time, I was a student for the priesthood, and Ed Lorraine Warren were... Uh, with their pop theology were assuming that these were demons, you know. So they were talking about exorcism and all this. And and I don't think that, obviously, that, that really did it. Uh, we should have been looking uh, more deeply at other possibilities, but people weren't thinking that way then. Yeah, and I'll tell How you what, the, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. One of the things that I brought up to, a paranormal, uh, to some paranormal researchers that they're going to try, you know, uh, everybody goes into the house or the old prison or the old insane asylum or wherever they go to do their research. And I suggested to them, I said, you know, when you do something like that, have somebody outside watching the sky. Exactly. You know, see if you see if there's any action going on outside in the sky. I said, you know, if you're not equipped to do that, call us. We'll come out and do that part for you. Good idea. While you're in there, check the sky, because uh, you're not the first person that has said that. I've heard that a number of times already, where people are saying that maybe these, this paranormal um, um, uh, issue going on in a home or wherever is um, alien in, uh, or inflicted or alien involvement. And uh, so 
hey, look, guys, if that, if you got that feeling, you know, do your thing inside, but have somebody outside, either with, uh, you know, a time, we, we could set up a time-lapse camera or, or whatever they want to do, and just watch the outside, see what happens. Mm-hmm. So if you have something going on in the inside, and outside, you know, the group out there is taking pictures of something that happened in the sky, that's a pretty good indication you may have a connection that can be made. Well, that's it. We always encourage people, you look not only in the house, you look at the neighbor. If you can, what, what's happening with the neighbor's houses? What's happening on, on other parts of the property? What's happening in the sky, certainly. Just and, like Bigfoot. Uh, Why are we not looking for this guy's trash? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, well they, put, they look like they throw pork chops out and hang donuts off of trees and nail sure. exactly. <laughs> Well, Butch, uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. We certainly want to have you back, and thanks for coming on. And give me, why don't you give your website one more time? www.ufocop.com. Very good. Well, we'll be in touch off the air. You can depend on that. Okay. And Take thank care you so now, guys. much. Okay, everybody. All right, Butch Witkowski. Check him out, folks. Tremendous, uh, tremendous conversation. Okay, Ashworth-by-the-Sea in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, Saturday, April 18th. We are scheduled to speak from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Not sure of our subject yet, but it will be new and different. Other speakers will include the great Lauren Coleman, the world's uh, leading cryptozoologist. And for more information, uh, it's a big, long link here, but I'll, if you go to BehindTheParanormal.com, we'll have, we have links to that uh, to that site that will tell you about this. It's sponsored by the Essex County Ghost Project, and it's for the benefit of a historic cemetery up there, and, it's, and it goes to a good cause uh, for the maintenance of the grounds, that sort of thing. Indeed. So on our October or on October 10th, uh, we're scheduled to speak once again at the New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Other speakers will include Stanton Friedman, Richard Dolan, and other UFO greats. And watch for more information on that event and others coming up this year. Yeah, uh, don't forget to visit our show website. That's BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 600 free podcasts and past shows, both on ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with other shows or special shows and podcasts. And you can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, all the usual suspects, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares. Dot org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy.org, and Youth Mentoring Connection.org, uh, that's Youth Mentoring.org, in Los Angeles, doing great things for at risk youth. Now, there are two new books just released by Global Communications, uh, Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company, uh, that would be of interest to our listeners, especially locally. One is The Bell Witch, which contains that story uh, and also a few contributions uh, by yours truly on historic paranormal cases here in New England including the 17th century Spectre Leaguers of Massachusetts uh, and the 18th and 19th century Vampire Hysteria in Rhode Island and Connecticut. A special interest to folks here on ON 1240 in our listening area is another Beckley book, UFO Repeaters, which just came out, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, talk show host here on ON for over 50 years. And there's a picture in there, Ben, I, I, I know you've looked at it too, uh, of, of a young Joe Ferry that I've never seen before. So yeah, me either. Very interesting. So both both books are available on Amazon.com or use the links at the online bookstore at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And next Monday, April 6th, here on ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we will have an open line show uh, to answer all of your questions in the areas of the paranormal. And we leave you this evening with a quote from the great American author Mark Twain. 
All generalizations are false, including this one. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.